What's happening, Hardscapers? This is episode 103 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk to you about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And today's episode is a I Am a Hardscaper roundtable interview with three returning guests from our I Am a Hardscaper series. And today's episode is brought to you by IQ Power Tools. They are a manufacturer of premium power tools with integrated dust collection systems for the hardscape industry. So go check them out at iqpowertools.com and on their socials at IQ Power Tools. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode. What's happening, Hardscapers? This is the next episode of the I Am a Hardscaper Roundtable, and we've got three returning guests with us. We've got Garrett DeCastro joining us back from Premier Landscape. Garrett, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me, Mike. And we got Josh Jones of Maz Hardscaper. Josh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And we got Tom Gardaki of New Eric excavation but you would know him as the dirt ninja tom thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me and i want to get started here by asking a question that i ask everybody for these roundtables starting off especially since uh, a lot of us are coming into our season and especially since it's still kind of that uh, first quarter of the year what are your goals for 2021 the goals for this year that you've set for your business uh in your business what are you trying to reach by the end of the year or throughout the year and i'm just going to throw this out to whoever wants to start off with this question i guess i'll go first um so we talked about this quickly before we get going but i i kind of actually have two goals for this year so First, my big goal, uh, kind of financial goal, is to buy my own commercial property for my business this year. Um, we've been operating out of a pretty tight spot in property and rent is pretty high where we are. So um, trying not to um, waste too much money on renting shop space. So that that's like my big financial goal for this year. And one of my other goals more in terms of running the business is going completely paperless this year. Um, which I am almost there. We have one last kind of little thing that I'm working on getting figured out. And then we will be 100% paperless this year, which is really cool just to um, be organized and have everything in, in one place digitally. So definitely, definitely good goals there. And uh, Garrett or Tom, who wants to kick it off with your side? I'll jump in, I guess. I'll kind of tee off Josh. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat myself. Uh, I think one of the big financial goals for me this year is uh, a commercial spot of my own as well. Um, I am in a pretty good spot, uh, a nice big building, enough shop space for now, um, but it's my father's building. So paying him rent is basically just paying his mortgage and I'm not huge on that. So uh, I'm on the hunt. I've got a couple uh, lots I'm looking at now and starting to draft up some preliminary drawings. So. Hopefully this year, uh, maybe by the end of the year, we can close and, and start breaking ground on some new land. So that's that's kind of goal number one financially. And then my top number one goal for this year is doing more with less. Um, and it's been our goal for years. We're getting better and better at it every year. Um, this will kind of probably tee up with our follow-up question being what our biggest struggle is, but um, our Still our biggest struggle is labor. So uh, doing more with less. Uh, we're doing a lot more subcontracting. We're putting on a general contractor hat and doing nothing but uh, larger, all-inclusive projects and really dialing in exactly who we are and what we do. 
Excellent. Thank you, Garrett. And on to you, Tom. Goals for 2021. Um, I can actually piggyback on those two uh, goals as well. Um, as some of you know, my parents retired uh, at the end of the last season, and uh, they are looking to develop the land uh, into house lots uh, that they formerly ran their shop out of. Um, so I probably have about a year left because um, I store uh, most of my stuff because it's all excavation gets stored on site um, and it goes from site to site. Uh, so I don't need much room, but I do have some stuff uh, at their shop still. Uh, so I need to probably around the end of the year, I'll start looking around, um, try and find a piece of land. And I think just buy the land at first, hopefully, and um, we'll build a shop down the road. Um, and then um, kind of funny, maybe another goal for me is not to spend any more money this year. <laughs> Um, so I've already spent way more than I'm pretty good at budgeting and already spent way more, uh, than I was supposed to for the whole year. And we're only three months in. Um, so my goal is to try and stop that. Um, but sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. I've, uh, with my parents selling the business, I've purchased their mini excavator, their, uh, track skid steer, one of their six wheeler dump trucks. Uh, they were supposed to hold on to their triaxle and just informed me that they would either sell it to me or sell it to the person who's buying the company. And I need that truck for my business to function. Uh, so I just purchased that. I purchased their tag trailer that goes along with it. And I literally this morning signed a contract on uh, GPS units for two of our excavators. Um, because just like Garrett, uh, we try and do as much as possible with as least as many people as possible. Um, and we have a huge workload um, right now, and it was really the only way um, that we could we could get or hopefully get the work done in the time frame we need it done uh, without hiring probably two to three more people. So, so bringing up budget, uh, a lot of questions came in about finances, as you usually do when it comes to sitting down with three other contractors and. Uh, where, how do you guys identify what you need in your business and how that reflects your budget and estimating jobs moving forward? Like Tom, you mentioned you've already gone way over your budget. So how does that affect your jobs coming up uh, as well as estimating in, in, the, in the future? Does your, um, you know, does your budget automatically adapt to where you scaled your businesses in terms of purchases and as well for Josh and Garrett and, and Tom, again, bringing up land and, uh, and a shop into the mix. Are you already trying to budget in that, those expenses that are going to come with purchasing a piece of land, purchasing a building, whatever it might be. Are you already trying to budget in those jobs that you're estimating right now to save up for that money? Or does that come with, you know, saving up profit? and putting that profit aside for that building. And then when that building comes, then adjusting your budget. Talk to me about how, how your guys' mindset works in terms of your budget and these purchases. Um, so for me, I don't, um, with these things that we buy, I don't change how I price my jobs at all. I, I'm pricing my jobs the same as I did, you know, six years ago when we started the the price of the jobs is going up to adjust for, you know, time. 
Um, but I don't charge anymore. You know, everything I buy is the goal is to make us more efficient. Um, so the purpose of spending, you know, my stuff is big money. Um, so you're spending big money to save yourself from hiring somebody. Uh, so you have that person's salary to take into it. Uh, but you're also in theory, if you make your purchases correctly, that these tools or systems or whatever you're buying a truck uh, should make you more efficient. Uh, so you should, in theory, make more profit per job uh, because you're implementing um, these tools. Uh, so you can't really, at least for me, I can't charge more because I have a tilt rotator or I have GPS or in hardscaping when we had all the clamps and the suction tools and you know, all those things, we could never charge more because we had it. Um, it's being more efficient and making more money at that same task. You know, we're, we're charging exactly the same as we were before, but we're putting more profit in our pocket. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. That's the same way um, we are. It's, it's basically like one way you can kind of look at it is you as a company with like a, a fairly basic setup could be charging $55 a man hour for your labor um, where a company who has all these tools and equipment, they may be charging 75 an hour, but they're also getting the job done so much faster. So in the end, your, your cost is the same, but um, one company is doing it faster and more efficient and easier um, while the other is, you know, having more difficult time. So um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Same for me. Um, prices stay the same when it comes to that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll kind of get off those guys. I mean, I, I agree, same deal with me. Um, but then furthermore, and, you know, anybody, anybody that knows me knows, I'm maybe not the best person to ask this budgeting question. Um, but in, in all reality, you know, I, the people that know me know I always say, you know, buy it and figure out how to pay for it. And, you know, all kidding aside, you know, there is some thought behind that, obviously, but there's also a high level of motivation. If you are on the on the brink of buying or not buying, just buy it because you're going to find a way to pay for it uh, once it's in your business. Right? You're, you're going to ramp up uh, work. You're going to ramp up efficiency. You're going to find a way to pay for it. So, you know, when you're and that's the difference, I think, in some companies that scale and some companies that don't scale. So it really depends on what path you're trying to go. If you're trying to do more with less, if you're trying to do more in general, if you're trying to scale up to sell, you know, there's all kinds of variables. But, you know, sometimes it really literally comes down to buy it and find a way to pick it. So when you guys started your businesses, did you kind of know what the market price was for the services that you offer? and knew that you wanted to fit in there right away, regardless of what equipment you had and everything like that. Cause you knew that you, you wanted to charge market value or, or even more uh, on, on top of that. Cause you knew eventually you were going to add these pieces of equipment to your business that you were going to grow in terms of tools and employees. So you wanted to set that, that bar right away as well as um, the, the thought came to my mind there as I was speaking, but, uh, not just, not just growth, but also as you gain experience, 
are your prices increasing on top of that as you gain more experience you can offer your customers more what does that look like in your business if uh if you know your budget isn't necessarily adjusting for the tools and equipment coming into your business i mean i'll say my pricing has definitely escalated um over the last 14 years that we started i think a lot of it is to do with the different scope of work we used to offer versus what we offer now as well so it's a little bit different of a model and different overhead, et cetera. Uh, back when we were doing maintenance and building, uh, now we're design build only. So, you know, things have changed and times have changed. Um, but I think when someone's first starting out, you know, I think anybody would be lying to you if they said they undercharged on the first couple jobs. I mean, unless you got lucky and shot for the stars and got it. But, you know, everybody kind of wants to get those first few portfolio pieces in there. And, um, you're going to fall on your face a little bit in the beginning and kind of figure out those numbers and make it all work. Definitely. Josh or Tom, thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I knew roughly, I mean, grew up in the family business. Um, family business was totally different than what I do now, but I still had an idea of, you know, with, with my business with excavation, it's, it's literally like your labor rate, uh, your equipment rate, and then just your materials. There's, it's a lot less complicated um, than hardscaping. Um, so I kind of knew those rates, um, but I think maybe where you were trying to get at, I know a ton of people always ask me like, how do I afford these things that we buy? And it's kind of, it's one of those things that if you start your business and you start with the mindset, it's pretty easy because Yes, it might take you a little bit, maybe a year or something to get that first whatever it is to make you a lot more efficient. Um, but once you have these things and you start implementing them, it's it's very easy to keep it going. As long as you're running your business correctly, it almost like snowballs because you're making more profit um, per job. So it's much easier when you say, you know, OK, am I going to spend thirty thousand dollars on this attachment? or this tool or something, you know, and you already have that kind of the history of whatever you bought last, that's been really good for you and is going to pretty much pay for your new thing that you're looking at. Um, so if you've been in business for a while and you're kind of struggling, um, it can be very hard to kind of like get over that hump. But I promise you, once you get your first thing that you know, and it can be something small, like just a couple of hand tools that are a lot better than what you have now. And you kind of start to see how that makes your guys uh, more efficient, makes your guys happier. They want to come in every day. I mean, that's huge in hardscaping is, you know, your guys getting beat up. It's very physical work, you know, even with all the best tools, it's still very, very physical work. Um, so, you know, once you start to get that ball rolling, it's actually very easy to to keep it rolling. Josh, do you have anything you want to add on to that? I mean, I I was in kind of a different position because I feel like when I started my business, I had so many of these things crammed into my head, like basically by Tom's dad. I mean, so so many of these things about tools and efficiency and proper pricing was already um, like in just, you know, in my system that I started off like that. Um, so it wasn't like I was um you know starting pricing low or starting with not the right tools it's like i just kind of started like that so like tom said it's it's like because i started like that there was no like push to get in there and it's just been 
um, normal for me to be able to, to buy stuff and, um, you know, not think about it too much. And obviously there needs to be thought when it comes to purchasing things, especially larger things, but some guys like they just fight over like, Oh, you clearly need a new skid steer. And they'll think about it for months and months when like, it's so clear that they need that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate. I think Gary can probably, um, I both Tom and Gary, but I know Gary, this is how he is, but just buying things, I feel like gets easier the more you do it. Um, and you think less about doing it each time, um, which can be dangerous, but I think, <laughs> I think if you, if you know that it's going to help you be more profitable and uh, more efficient, then you shouldn't have to think about those things too much. And, and honestly, you know, I'll time back in on, I mean, the financing versus cash thing. And I know there's guys out there that run it completely cash and that's awesome. There's guys out there that run it the other way. I mean, personally, at least in the economy we're in, if I can get 0% or frankly anything under 3%, if you can't charge enough to, to bury that interest, then you're not pricing things right anyway. So if you, and I'm not saying like, just because you want a fancy truck, we'll get a fancy truck. But if you need a skid steer and you don't have a skid steer and they're offering 0.9%, there's a way that you can price that in your job pretty easy. So although it may look like a $60,000 price tag, you can very easily recoup that. All right. So where is the limit? Um, where? Let's start with how do you identify first a piece of equipment or a tool that you need in your business? Uh, and then my follow-up to that afterwards would be, where where is the limit? Where do you say, you know, I have enough tools, equipment for this season? How do you identify that? Uh, because there's uh, lots of things I want for my business. Uh, but I want to know how you guys kind of say, you know what, that's the limit for this season. We'll start looking at this for next season. Uh, so, but first, how do you identify those tools and pieces of equipment that your business needs? Oh, I'd say start with this guy because he's trying to figure that out right now. Tom. <laughs> um, I would say you got to be, you got to really think it through. I spend probably way too much time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is a good thing. Um, thinking about what we're going to buy and make sure it's really what we need uh, and what we need now. Um, because yeah, I have long-term goals of what we need next year. And, you know, three years from now, I've got those goals of, you know, for me, it's mostly equipment stuff. My business literally is all equipment. Um, so like, I'll just take like this GPS um, that we literally just signed for today. Um, I looked at our workload. Um, so that's a huge thing to look at. You know, if you guys have $200,000 of work that you have to get done in the next, you know, half a year or whatever, it's all relative to the size of your business. But look at, you know, the volume of work that you have done and can you get it done with the guys and equipment and stuff you have now? If say yes, then look at how you could maybe get it done more efficiently. Um, for me, it was looking at it and saying, there's no way in heck that I'm going to get this done with um, the four of us right now. Um, and I, my whole goal with my business is to literally be as efficient as humanly possible with the people that we currently have 
before we go out and hire another person. Um, so getting this GPS stuff allows me to basically do or any of my guys do a job almost completely by themselves. Um, you know, there's still labor stuff involved, um, but it's just going to let us do more with the people that we have. So the GPS stuff was $50,000. So would I rather invest in this GPS stuff or would I rather go, I'd have to pay probably more than $50,000 to a good operator, uh, you know, and hope that he shows up every day and that he's not sick and that he, you know, is good to work with. No, I'm going to invest 50 grand in this GPS equipment that shows up every day. Uh, hopefully it doesn't break down um, and is there every day. And, and, and it's not just this year, it's, next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. And I think when you start looking at it that way, in terms of comparing it to, to physical labor and employees, and you think about the amount of money that can save, like when you just think use a, a simple number, like $50,000 a year for a guy, when you start thinking about uh, labor burden, everything that goes with that. And you think about what a piece of equipment costs and the fact that it's going to last so many more years than that, it really starts to make those bigger purchases easier, I think, when you just compare it to, to physical labor. Because um, that, you know, when you really think about how much employees cost you, it's scary. Um, so I think that that makes it easier. Garrett, anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, I'm probably the wrong person to ask again on that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, again, it's not that I don't plan. I just, I take, I do take a lot of risk um with, with my approach um but there is a thought process behind it and like both of these guys already said i mean it, it comes down to labor and at the end of the day almost everything we're going to be talking about will circle back one way or another to labor um, i personally haven't been in the field for, for about three to four years now so you know i'm dealing with employees only so i'm struggling a little right now with purchasing some of these large investments and then trusting someone else to take care of it, to run it properly, to run it as efficiently as it should be. So I still have the employee cost and the equipment cost. And sometimes it gets a little bit of a struggle to make both of them efficient. Uh, so something in mind for guys that are scaling up too, you know, it's a world of difference when you're not operating that piece of equipment or you don't have a close group of guys that you really trust to operate it properly and efficiently. Yeah. And a way that I look at um, kind of to get back to you, like budgeting, basically I've figured out a number that I am comfortable with and having for payments a month. Uh, and I refuse to go over that. Um, so if I am at that limit, I have to be able to pay for it cash with a check. So I have no payments. Um, so that's really how I look at things. Um, and to be honest with you, I really want to get to debt free. Um, I think it would be a really killer way to run our business. Um, now it's going to be very hard. Uh, my, some of my purchases are half a million dollars uh, for a machine. So it's going to take a lot more work. Uh, I actually think we're doing really good at it. 
Uh, everything we purchased last year was debt free. Um, not everything this year. <laughs> um, but it's just, I have to do it in order to keep working basically. Um, but that's a good way to, you know, and, and my number that I came up with that I'm comfortable in payments is just based off of past history, you know, profit margin, how much I'm projecting to do this year kind of all goes into that. Um, I probably didn't really figure that out until, I don't know, three years into business, you know, kind of what I was really comfortable with. Um, in the last couple of years, I really kind of got it nailed down. So that's kind of how I look at things. Yeah. And, and before you talked about Tom, and this is something that I started doing this year is kind of mapping out, at least for bigger purchases, what the next, you know, three, four, five years look like. Um, Cause I'm in the same boat where I basically have like my fixed overhead. I, I kind of try to cap it at a certain point. Um, so I've like mapped out w- what the next four or five years look like in terms of the bigger stuff like trucks and um, you know, whether it be excavator, skid steers, stuff like that. Um, so I can say, oh, I know this year this is going to be paid off and I'm going to need this. So I'm going to purchase this this year. And that has helped because um, I feel like I can kind of just do things sometimes too. I'll just be like, oh, like we, we could use this kind of don't really need it. So I'm just going to do it. And then I realized like, oh, I probably should have not done that and put it towards something else. So really taking the time in the winter and like thinking about it and thinking about our needs from the past year and and just projecting things has helped me stay or I'm hoping will help me stay more on track when it comes to the purchasing. Josh, when you project like that, are you looking at areas in your business in which you want to expand maybe your services and deciding then which kind of route you're going to go in terms of equipment and tool purchases? Or like what what does projecting mean when you say that? I'm I'm more just looking at the really big things. Like I I'm Honestly, and we may have talked about this in our podcast we did before, but I don't want to really grow. Um, We're really comfortable where we are. And um, so we're not having this need to like add on. It's more just replacing things and get them to the point where everything's good and new. Um, So I'm projecting like, oh, I know I'm going to want to replace this truck in a couple of years or so and so. So it's not so much like adding, it's more just like saying, hey, this is why I need to replace this major thing. Um, so it's easy because, you know, I only have a few trucks and a few pieces of equipment. So it's not like I have a list of 10 things every year. It's like one or two big things a year, if that. Um, so it's just a, a guesstimating based on when payments of existing things are up um, and what I think our needs will be for the next, you know, four or five years. Gotcha. And then the same question to you, Garrett, what does, when you're expanding what your business is offering and being that whole package uh, deal, what does that look like in terms of projection for your business? Are you taking that year by year or are you saying like, this is where we're going this year, we're doing it all. And like, are you, are you more of an opportunist in terms of when things come your way and trying to expand your business? Or is this something that you said, no, we're doing this? And this is how we're growing our business. Yeah, we a little bit of all of the above with that. Um, it is hard to say no to certain things as you grow and as you have certain opportunities that come up. Um, but I've become better at it. Um, but growing into this all-inclusive approach that we've had has just kind of funneled its way down, so to speak. So we, we kind of started doing everything 
we kind of funneled down and got pretty specific and we started bellying back out and now I'm working on back back to funneling down and exactly what we want to do in the backyard in ground pools poolscape at us. So, you know, and we just found in our market that we kind of had a, a niche and an angle being the all-inclusive guy, whereas, you know, other clients were getting tired of dealing with the hardscape guy, the landscape guy, the pool guy, the plumber, the carpenter, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, where that comes into relation with equipment, you know, for me, I'm trying not to scale much from an employee perspective because it's definitely my number one problem. Um, so any scaling that I'm doing now is from a subcontractor standpoint. Um, and we've been fortunate so far to find a pretty good group of small owner operator subcontractors that meet our quality or even exceed some of our quality. Um, just because they're owner operators and they're there, they're doing their thing. So it, it allows me to grow without having to grow on my top or overhead. And it allows me to kind of come on and do projects that we really want to do. So, Garrett, do you do what Tom kind of does and identify an, an amount that you're comfortable with in terms of payments each month? Or are you willing to kind of take on, you know, equipment as you see fits throughout the year? Um, again, kind of all of the above, but we do, I do do a budget every year and try to monitor that accordingly through the season. Um, but I would say that doesn't hold me back. I think I need something I'll, I'll go and do it. And we're talking a matter of, you know, a few thousand dollars a month. Um, we're not talking about adding tens of thousands of dollars a month. So it wouldn't make or break a deal if I think I needed something that could really benefit me. Try and take advantage of uh, opportunities that jobs present you to maybe invest in something that you either been looking at for a long time and getting, uh, and finally you get that job. Um, a big thing for us is like subcontractors. Um, I can give you an example of a job last year. Um, it was a big foundation. It was a hundred percent ledge. Uh, we would have had to have spent uh, $80,000 probably on hammering um, from a subcontractor. Uh, so we decided that it would be better for us to just go out and purchase a hammer and a machine to run it. Um, so it's like taking advantage of those opportunities when they come, they don't come very often, especially like paying for the whole thing in one job that almost never happens. Um, but try and take advantage of those things of, I mean, even if you can pay for 35, 40% of that total purchase price from one job, you know, that's pretty good. And then now you can keep using it on the other jobs. So yeah, continuing with that, Tom, when you were presented with all this equipment that you decided to purchase, like you said, was that based on opportunity uh, in terms of work coming into your business? Or was that in terms of you know you're going to need this equipment in the future, the opportunity presented itself for you to purchase it, and now you're going to kind of go out and get that work to put it to work? Um, it was, I knew I needed that equipment. Um, and I also knew that it would be very difficult for me to buy all of those things quickly and for the price that I got them for. I paid fair market value um, for them, even though it was my parents. But um, it's just, it, I mean, the other thing is I ran all that equipment for the last however many years, so I knew it was taken care of. And that's a big thing in buying used stuff is, 
Was it taken care of? Was it well maintained? Um, you know, I knew all the history of that equipment. Uh, and I, I generally don't like to buy used, um, but I knew everything about this equipment. I knew it was in good shape. I knew I could buy it all used uh, at a good price. And it was just that opportunity to have the chance to purchase all of that, you know, or else I would have had to piecemeal it all together. And then I'm buying maybe used pieces or maybe I'm buying new, but now I can't afford all of those pieces that I got. Um, so it was kind of just, it was a combination of a couple of things, but it really just was the opportunity to, to get all that because I knew I needed all of that at some point. Definitely. Um, that's a good point with used equipment that you brought up. Um, I personally don't enjoy buying used equipment because I'm just not a mechanic and we're not large enough to have an in-house mechanic either. So uh, for me, it's always been uh, easier to have payments or pay with cash and buy new and not have to worry about the downtime or the repairs. And the last couple of years, for example, we've got a couple of trucks that are that are getting paid off and you know things are good for a few months. We have that much less in payments. Oh, this is awesome. This is why everybody, you know, no one likes payments. And then it's like clockwork, no matter what. It, it's boom, it's seven thousand dollar front end work or uh, a turbo goes or the DES system fails. Everything's outside of warranty. It's like for us anyway, and, and some people are mechanically inclined, so they can pull it in their shop and do a lot of their repairs themselves. But you know, for, for business owners out there, I mean, take take that as a variable to whether buying new or used, and, and what could be a better fit for your business model. And that that's something I'm literally dealing with right now. And this is funny because I bought a truck from Tom's parents, and it's been. Uh, it's been nothing but problems so far and uh, wasn't expected to be uh, because it's a solid truck, but it's just like, it's like since I've gotten it, it's been nonstop and I paid cash for it. So I thought I was like, yes, like I have no payment. It's a great truck. I'm going to be all set. And then it's just been like constant and I'm, I'm toying with that same thing. It's like, you know, we're, I'm at the point now where in the past three months, I will, I would have paid for like nine months of a payment on a, on a brand new truck. Um, so it's, it's, that's, yeah. So it, it's literally that same, same idea is what you're saying. It's just like, yeah, it's hard. It kind of sucks having those payments, but like you save so much with downtime. Um, and you think about downtime, not only is it like you can't do the task efficiently, but now like the labor, once again, the labor that goes with it, um, because you know, a guy can't do the same trucking. So now the guy's on site, even though you didn't plan for him to be and, you know, just to keep him busy. So it's um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Having a, having things paid off and having a good balance of things that aren't costing you as much is great. But once they start causing you regular problems, it, I think it's worth just having a payment on something. I want to take a break from today's episode to thank our sponsor, IQ Power Tools. This episode is brought to you by IQ Power Tools, manufacturers of premium power tools with integrated dust collection systems for our industry, the hardscape industry. Visit IQPowerTools.com for game-changing, innovative tools that save time, money, and maybe even someone's life. These systems collect an enormous amount of dust. It really goes to show how much dust we are kicking up when we cut dry without one of these systems. 
These tools are no doubt an investment into your safety and health, as well as your crew members, the homeowner, the neighbors, everyone around us when we are working on site. Not to mention the professionalism that you show keeping your job sites safe and healthy for everyone around. So connect with IQ Power Tools on their social media channels and read what their customers have to say. Now back to our episode. Yeah, those are good points about equipment. And we did have a question come in. What tool or piece of equipment have you added that has the biggest impact on productivity or efficiency? So what is that one piece of equipment or tool that you've added in your business that has been the biggest impact in your business? Oh, you guys can fight over this because I feel like you probably have the same answer. (laughs) We were just waiting for that one to get teed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll jump in first and just, just to get a jump on Tom, but I I would say the Encon tilt rotator for, for us. Um, again, it kind of comes down to the operator too. You know, I mean, someone like Tom sitting in a seat, I mean, he's he's an animal with it, right? He's, he's efficient with it. As other guy has, has been learning for the past year or so, he's efficient with it. So um, finding a guy and sticking a guy in that seat semi-permanently is, is half the battle for a business with multiple employees. Um, but once you find a guy that, that is in that machine with that piece of equipment, it's, it's a Swiss Army. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's probably my favorite tool in the toolbox. Yep, I would uh, totally agree. Um, we have an Encon tilt rotator. Actually, oh, I forgot that. I bought a new one this year, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I have two now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, for me in the work that I do, uh, it is in my opinion, an absolute must have, we will not buy a machine without one. Um, it's just made us so much more efficient. Um, uh, you know, again, makes us do more with less people. Um, 100% cuts down on your labor. Um, and I really feel like, um, it translates for pretty much any business, um, even the, the hardscaping. You know, if uh, I tried to get my parents to buy one, um, but they kind of knew they were going to be retiring in a couple of years. Um, so they, I agree with them, actually. I, they didn't, they weren't going to get the long-term return on investment on the investment. Um, so they decided not to do it. Um, but I really wish we did do it. Uh, it would have made us, you know, we did things very efficiently, I would say, hardscaping wise. Um, and I, I think it would have even made us better. Um, so that was it's been a, a great investment um, for my business. Josh, do you have a, t- a specific tool or a piece of equipment that you want to? I think probably the the thing that I found the biggest differences difference in, and and maybe we don't use it you know, daily, like we do, like you would with an NCON, but, um, our vacuum unit that we have for, um, lifting like specifically more monolithic, um, steps and, and treads and stuff. Um, I know that's something Garrett has and, and Tom's parents had too. I found that has saved us a ton of time. Um, and it's, we're at the point where we're always pushing monolithic stairs because we can install them so quickly with that. Um, not only is it, quicker and easier but i think it's a lot safer too um rather than using you know straps or forks on a machine and um having more guys on the ground and and iron bars i think it's um i think i've seen the bigger biggest difference with that tool over probably anything else that we have 
And if, if you don't mind, I want to chime in to something that Josh had said The uh, with, with breakdowns. So I'm pretty much in the same boat as both of these guys of, I am not a mechanic. I fix things with a hammer and that's pretty much it. Um, so I don't want to spend time fixing stuff. Um, it's very important when you buy things, I would say most importantly, like equipment and trucks, like make sure you pick, uh, I think the dealer is more important than the actual product. Um, because you could have the best product and if your dealer is terrible, um and they can't support you with service and parts um then what's the point um because everything breaks down don't listen to the salesman everything's breaks down it doesn't matter what you buy you can spend fifty thousand dollars more for the same exact thing it's going to break down um and what really people because i know a lot of people that spend so much time you know themselves fixing things um to me it's not worth it at all for me to try and fix things myself because I'd rather just go to another job and keep working because I can make more money working, paying. Uh, I have a couple of mechanics that we use. So I'd rather just hire them to fix it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't think about like opportunity loss. And what I mean by that, is, like you being on the job site or your piece of equipment being running that yeah you might have saved a thousand dollars because you fixed it yourself but it took you three days right and when you could have just had the dealer do it cost you a thousand dollars more but it was working the next day and you were able to work those extra two days you probably made more money than a thousand dollars you know uh just in that example but it's just something to think about because i see way too many people in my opinion um taking time losing production and fixing things themselves because they can't afford to pay the dealer to do it but i don't really think that they're thinking of the whole picture of that opportunity of the work uh that you could be doing that's such an important topic especially as an owner right an owner working on their piece of equipment and uh trying to fix it and then seeing guys like on the weekends working on their piece of equipment just because they they don't want to pay that such a huge point and it, it was kind of my next question is what goes into purchasing a specific piece of equipment like the the name uh the brand name behind the equipment do you guys have certain loyalties to certain brand names or is it is it just that tom is it just the the dealer behind it and what the dealer uh more so about the dealer and what they are selling um what goes into purchasing that specific brand piece of equipment uh, for me, it's a hundred percent the dealer. Yeah. It's it, in some extent the features of the machine, and you know if it's comfortable. You know, for me, I'm literally I'm not like these guys. I'm spending all day in the machine, and all my guys are spending all day in the machine. So you got to have creature comforts and a nicer machine. That does play a role in it. Uh, I would say it's like sixty forty favored towards the dealer. Um, I have a very mixed fleet. I have Cat Kamatsu. Um, John Deere, uh, I will say that now that I've dealt with dealers, different dealers, I know definitely who I will buy from or consider buying from again. Um, one of my brands, I will not, I will, I just refuse to buy a new piece of equipment. I love the machine that I have, uh, but I absolutely refuse to buy a new one. And it's 100% because of the dealer because they can't answer the phone calls. 
Uh, they can't get me parts the next day. Um, they're just a pain with invoicing, like literally you name it, I've had problems with it. Um, and to me, that is just huge. It's, it's just all that opportunity cost. I'd much rather pay $500 more per part that I need to know that I have it the next day and it can be installed that next day and I'm up and running because of that opportunity loss of work that I could have been doing. Uh, Josh or Garrett, same question. What what goes into purchasing a specific brand of piece of equipment? Uh, is it the dealer for you too? Do features kind of play more of a role? Uh, what what are your thoughts? I think for me, it, it's probably a lot of what Tom said. And I think Tom's actually the one who got me thinking like that. Um, the brand that we run, um, one of the major reasons we run that brand is because they're five minutes from my shop. Um, we're like the next coast, the next closest um, equipment manufacturer is like 25 minutes away. Um, and there's a lot of other things that go with that, like part availability, um, as well as service. But that was like a big, big thing is just being accessible to us. Um, and, and most often having what we need. Um, so I would say for me, that's a big part of it. I think there is a difference in quality between certain brands too. So it's going to be a combination of that too. Like some brands, you know, are going to be more reliable than others. So that needs to play somewhat of a part. Um, so I, I would say it's a similar, um, I guess, ratio to what Tom said. And I think it depends on what piece of equipment it is. Um, like I know more when it comes to compactors, like we've just had an awesome experience with Weber and there's been other brands that I've had very bad experiences. It has nothing to do with service or who I got it from. It was literally just the piece of equipment itself. Um, so I think it, it, it depends on what it is exactly, but for the most part, it's going to be based on dealer um, service parts, things like that. And Garrett, over to you. Yeah, I, and I agree with both of these guys. Um, service is probably number one uh, deal maker or breaker. Um, for me, we live on an island in Rhode Island, so um, access is fairly limited. I mean, we've got three bridges to get here, but nonetheless, to, to get to kind of the main hub is let's say 40 pounds away. So, you know, I've got some dealers that are closer, so we're good for parts and quick repairs. And we've been fortunate with some of our equipment dealers, but like Tom said, and what Josh said, I mean, they're all yellow. They all break down. Trucks, they're all four wheels, six wheels. They all break down. So four dogs, cat, deer. I mean, I get asked it all the time on Instagram and, and elsewhere. It's all work for you and your area. And Josh said it too. I mean, there's some obvious lower quality um, items, right? But you know, when you're looking at the, the big players, I mean, they're, they're all pretty level playing. The only thing I'll add, at least from my perspective, because I'm a big fan of financing, is um, what what the banks are offering. So what the finance offers are. Um, they got zero percent, point nine percent. 5%, you know, that, that, that's a huge swing for me because interest is complete overhead. So that, that's another uh, little tidbit for a decision maker for me. So it's probably service and then um, um, finance options. Yeah, and I can touch on that a little bit too. When we first started our business, um, our first piece of equipment we bought used from actually one of our builders. Um, so that was very easy. He was very cool. We were just starting out. He knew us, um, again, gave us a great opportunity to get into this piece of equipment, um, very easily. 
Um, and then when we decided to buy our first new piece of equipment, which was a Caterpillar wheel loader, um, the main reason we got that machine was it was 0% with no money down. Um, and as a brand new business owner, like, how can you beat that? You can't. Um, because we didn't have a lot of money to put down on something. Um, and the 0% interest, I mean, you, you can't beat that. Um, the only other thing I'll add is a lot of people, um, like ask me buying new versus used. And one thing to think about, um, Gary brought this up. So I, it kind of, uh, sprung my memory of, uh, look at, don't just look at the purchase price. Look, actually get financing quotes for the things, because one thing that you'll notice is that with new equipment, the financing rate is usually significantly lower. Um, and with used equipment, it is significantly higher, like going from 2% to 8, 9, 10% on used. It depends on what you're getting. Um, so you might be able to. So uh, this is what we did with our CAT 316 excavator. I literally went into my dealer and I said, I have 2,500 bucks a month to spend on a machine. I said, I know that's not going to get me a new machine. So can you find me a shaped, uh, you know, used machine? And he said, yep, no problem. And he gets back to me, he goes, Tom, he goes, because of the financing rates right now for $300 more a month, I can get you a brand new machine with a three year warranty, a uh, 3000 hour warranty, so those are things you need to look at. It, it might not be equal because of the financing rate, but for me, I could go out and buy a brand new machine for 300 bucks more than a used one that I really don't know anything about. Um, you know, that was a no brainer for me. So definitely people need to look into that more because um, that, that pay, plays a big difference in your true monthly payment on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't bought one single used truck or used piece of equipment that hasn't screwed me every single one i mean the, the predicament that josh is in right now is like every single used truck i buy i get so excited about it we buy it, it's cash it's no payment it runs for a week or a month and it's just the bleeding starts and it just doesn't stop and then you get you get up in the air on when you stop the bleeding when you cut it loose and it's just it's tough but interest rates so what tom was saying um josh i think we've talked about this in the past because i think or at least i got myself caught up in, in a crappy interest rate early on um buying equipment used equipment and it, you know it wasn't a true apr interest rate it was month over month compounding i mean you're paying eight to upwards of 15 percent interest it's ridiculous and had i thought a little bit more and did a little more research at the time you know, these bigger companies deal with bigger banks that have bigger opportunities and, and you're talking 50% or less and, and then plus your promotions for an interest rate, true APR. So again, at 0% or 0.9 or even up to 3%, I mean, you're, you're not talking a lot of interest that you're adding to your overhead at the end of the day, if you, if you can afford that payment as it is. Yeah, really, really interesting points, definitely. Uh, and a lot to think about when it comes to purchasing that next equipment. Now, something that, that has come up uh, in this discussion is, you know, purchasing that, that piece of equipment, 
as opposed to hiring that next employee because that equipment's going to show up day after day um, and you're going to have it year after year. So I kind of want to turn that into this next question, which is employees. What is your next hire in your business that is not an entry level laborer? And what does that mean in terms of the direction that you're taking your business? So that next hire, what is that going to be in your business? Uh, you know, whether that's this year, next year, the year after, that is not an entry level laborer in your business. And and what does that mean in terms of the uh, trajectory of your business? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll dive into this one. Um, for me, I'm sitting down and thinking about adding an office manager again. Um, I used to have an office manager for years. Um, had a couple of them we had gone through. And it's been probably three years now that I have let that last one go and I've since been wearing that hat. Um, which in reality with technology the way it is, it's really not that much work. Um, but now, especially with the direction that we're going and the added permitting processes and all the extra subcontracting credentials we need to stay on top of. It's it's starting to compound a lot of tasks and it's starting to take a lot more off my design plate, my estimating plate. But most importantly right now, with where we're at as a company, I need to have a better pulse in the field. And I'm actually trying to reverse a little bit and actually try to get out in the field physically a day or two a week and help continue to train um, and improve our operations as a whole. I think that's one of the biggest values that I have in the business. And I had to sit down and just accept that is a value um, to the business. So trying to take a little bit off my plate, probably bring someone in the office to help out with that and in turn help basically everything from me now. Um, I'm going to answer your question the exact way you told us not to answer your question. Um, I personally will not, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say will not, but I really, to this point, have not hired anybody who has experience um, before working for me, um, with the exception of one of my, my main guys who I had worked with in the past. Um, I prefer to get guys with zero experience who um, are hardworking and willing to learn and have drive. And I would rather teach them my ways and not have any bad habits. Um, and because of the the way that I've chosen to grow, I haven't, you know, I'm not adding guys every year. Um, for the most part, I'll, I'll have my main guys that are with me um, every year and I'll add like a summer intern, kind of something like that. Um, this will be the first year in four years that I will that I'm trying to hire another full-time position. Um, but same thing, I'm, I'm looking for somebody with zero experience. Um, so that way they can start from scratch, learn the ways that we do things and work their way up from there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And over to you, Tom. Uh, for me, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Um, the beginning of this year, we hired actually um, an old employee of my parents um, who is a, has a CDL license. Um, so he can drive our truck and trailer. He can run equipment. Um, he's not an operator, but he can, you know, move the equipment around and things like that. And then he can also labor. Um, 
So I think I almost have to answer the question in the same that Josh just did. Um, and I actually think, so I do, I do a lot of work. I do, I did over a million dollars of work last year and we don't even have a laborer. Um, so I think we're going to get to the point here where I actually need a laborer, uh, like full-time laborer. And um, I think that'll probably be our, our next higher. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of have to feel out how this year goes. Um, something that's kind of unique for me is that I actually, I, so our business is six years old this year. Um, so I have a partner in the business. So it's the two of us. We have one employee that's been us with us for two years now, and now the new hire. And I'm actually only full time now for my own business starting this year um, because I still helped my parents out with their hardscaping business. So I don't really know. I have an idea of what we're capable of, of um, with me coming on board full time, um, but I don't truly know. So we're kind of figuring out, um, you know, what we need for people wise, um, just as much as our tools and equipment wise. Awesome. So turning the page on that, where are, where's your business coming from in terms of, uh, you know, where are you getting the leads? Where are you getting the most of your work from? And do you have to spend any money on marketing in the market that we are currently in? Um, I'll go ahead and start. So my customers are all repeat customers. I work for primarily builders. Um, I'm doing new home construction. They're all custom high-end homes for the most part. Um, and uh, they're just really repeat. Uh, we still do a lot of work for uh, like homeowners, uh, little projects. Um, and that primarily comes from word of mouth um, as well as our website. Our website um, actually generates a tremendous amount of leads um, from homeowners, not really from, uh, from builders, uh, but from homeowners, it's been great. Um, we have never spent a single penny on advertising. Um, so everything, we started working for one builder, you do a good job, you know, the builders know each other. They, you know, when their guy backs out, uh, they're always asking around, who can we hire? Uh, funny story, we got uh, a job two years ago for um, an act, actually an ex-MLB baseball player. <laughs> Uh, which was pretty cool. And we got the job because uh, the builder had another contractor already lined up, had a price and everything, but the contractor refused to put in silt fence on the job site. Uh, and the silt fence needs to be up before they can get a demo permit. Uh, so this builder called his buddy, who we did all his work for, we got that job and we've been working for the guy ever since. So I would just tell people that to take care of your customers, you know, even if it's, you know, like these guys and usually it's one customer, um, you know, take care of them. They're always going to spread the word if you did a good job. Um, and another way we get a lot of business is through my social media. Um, we just started a $700,000 road project uh, that I 100% got from Facebook, my Facebook. Builder. Yeah. He actually, the, Builder reached out to me, said, I've been following you for 10 years. Uh, I know you guys do awesome work. Uh, I want you to do my project. Um, so you never know 
um, what can happen from your social media. I definitely highly encourage everybody to at least have a presence on there and get your name out there on social media. You never know what can happen. Josh or Garrett? Um, I would say my situation is fairly similar to Tom's. We're, we're, we work mostly off of word of mouth. Um, a good chunk of it is from that avenue. Um, and, and just to, to go back to what Tom was saying about taking care of your customers, um, I have a, a kind of a different story, but same idea. I had a customer, one of my very, very first customers. Um, and long story short, they created this web within their town, which is the town that we operate out of. And probably for my first three years, at least half of our work all branched like from this one customer. Um, like they tell their friends, and then those friends would tell friends. And it's like, there's this huge web within this this one town, um, all because of that one customer. Um, so a lot of word of mouth for us. And then same thing, we get a lot through our website um, without doing any promotions or anything. And I think part of that for me is because of my company name. Um, and that was part of the reason I named my company what I did is it's very broad. So we have a lot of people who will literally just Google hardscapes in Massachusetts and we're the first one that comes up. Um, and I have buddies in different parts of the state and they're always so angry because when you Google their town, if you Google whatever Bridgewater mass hardscapes, we come up first. Um, so that, that's been really good because we get a lot of organic flow through our website. And, and with that comes a lot of leads that aren't great because they're just too far away for us. Um, and I'll send them to other contractors that I know, but a lot of organic through the website. I'll do a little bit of marketing every year, um, whether it be Facebook or just Google ads. Um, but that's really the most I'll do um, in terms of spending on, on advertising. And then once in a while, we'll probably get two or three jobs a year from social media. Um, obviously I don't have as big of a following as Tom, but still get some stuff from that. And I think one thing like Tom was saying, have, it's important to have social media because we have a lot of customers who they may not find us through social media, but they're always finding our accounts after the fact. And when they see the type of work we do, um, the way that we're communicating with other people online, that really helps back us in our, our reputation. Um, so that's that's been helpful. Definitely. And then on to you, Garrett. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do spend a fair bit on marketing. Um, for my size business, we spend anywhere from 20 to 40,000 all in uh, for our marketing budget. But that includes, um, you know, signage, truck decals as well. So I would say about 20,000 or so is actual uh, marketing expenditure. So all of that is digital. Um, I'll send a little plug to uh, Halstead Media, uh, Corey and Anna. I mean, I've worked with them for just over five years now. And again, it kind of comes down to working on your strengths. My strengths were not digital marketing. Yours were. So, you know, I bit the bullet years ago and paid the money and, and still continue to pay the money. So they manage my site and uh, my Google ads, my campaigns. So with the jobs that we are, are really harpooning, um, we've got to be pretty specific with our targeting, um, so we're spending our money smartly. Uh, we do still same thing with Josh. Get a lot of you know organic flow as well, and a lot of you know walkway calls or or even landscape maintenance calls that we've got to weed through. But that's that's just you know name of the game. 
Um, but I would say if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say we get about 25% word of mouth. Um, so I agree with both of you guys. I mean, that's number one priority to take care of every single time you get it. You know, even at worst case scenario, a happy customer is going to tell one person and unhappy customer is going to tell 10 people. So again, we live on an island. It's a small community. Um, word gets around pretty quick. Um, I would say only about 10% is coming from builders now. That used to be upwards of 50%, but we're phasing that portion of our work out. It's just uh, very difficult to work with builders, um, unfortunately. But we do have a couple that we still have really good relationships with that we're going to continue working for. Um, and then the balance of those leads are coming from um, Google campaigns, our website that we continuously refresh. Um, we keep up pretty up-to-date on optimization on that. Um, and, and our Instagram account. Um, we've sold a couple hundred thousand dollar jobs on, on Instagram alone, whether they're following us from a friend or whether they found us on Google first, like Josh had mentioned, and then they're, they're just continuing to do their diligence, right? They find you on Facebook and they find you on Instagram. So that, that all those pieces kind of fit together where people are doing their homework when they're hiring you to do hundred to $400,000 jobs or, or more. Um, so having all those pieces to the puzzle in the puzzle is, is pretty important. And I think I'll, I'll mention that like our Instagram account has changed over the last year or two. I don't do as much equipment posts or, or, you know, just, just, I try to gear it a little more towards the business and the sales end of it, you know, following jobs or job site progress, um, et cetera. Whereas in the beginning, I was gearing it a little more towards, you know, it was all of us hanging out. We were showing off equipment and dealing with headaches and showing problems, but it very quickly took a turn for being a lot more professional, a lot more of a marketing um, position. So, you know, that's kind of like a little tidbit for guys, just be careful because there are actually clients following you on that. So, you know, be professional and be clean. And I mean, I throw family stuff up there, my kids, my kids, my dogs, whatever. It's, it brings a sense of realism to people, I think, too. But uh, at the end of the day, I try to make my social media a little more salesy, I guess. Yeah, I feel like people are doing more research than ever um, before they go out and hire a contractor. Um, I equate it to like, when the last time you bought a personal vehicle for yourself, I mean, how much research did you do on that before you even got to the dealer, right? Um, it's the same thing that people are doing with contractors. Um, and your social media plays a huge part in that. Um, you know, I try and all my social media, I try and keep very professional and accurately represent our company and what we do and the jobs that we do. Um, because people are going on there and checking us out, you know, it's all linked right from our website. So if somebody finds us, they can check us out, you know, through that, find our social media. Um, it's almost like, uh, the, the people get to know you, um, before they even pick up the phone to give you a call. They already have a good idea of the projects you do, um, and the quality of work that you do and the type of person that you are, kind of how you conduct yourself on social media. Um, and then the last thing I'll just say is, uh, in terms of getting jobs, uh, it's amazing how many jobs you can get just by keeping a clean job site. I know that was a huge thing with my dad. My dad was a drill sergeant at the end of the day. Every single day, every, the driveway was swept, the lawn was cleaned up, the machines were parked nice and neat. Uh, there wasn't just 
pallets of material laying everywhere. Even if it takes you a half an hour to clean up at the end of the day and then unpack up in the morning, a half hour on the job site, but it, you left the job looking clean and professional, um, especially for hardscaping, because you'll find once you do a really nice job in a neighborhood, the neighbors are all going to ask that neighbor who did the job. Um, and that's a big thing uh, rather than leaving, you know, tire mud marks out into the street and pissing off all the neighbors that are driving by in their BMW because they're kicking up rocks and everything. Um, so, and we try and do that the same way with the excavation business. We actually started working for a builder last year uh, because he worked in, or he lived, his personal house was in the neighborhood that we were doing a new home at. And on the weekends, he told me he was walking up and looking at our job site. And he ended up calling me um, and just said, hey, I saw your equipment. You guys keep a very nice job site. And I want you to, you know, give me a quote for a couple of projects. So that can go a long way, too. I mean, literally just a little bit of time at the end of the day. I've asked you about equipment. I've asked you about employees, marketing. Now, as we kind of close things down here, I've got a couple more questions that I want to get to. This is a big one, though. Uh, how does the current market affect the way you make decisions in your business or does it at all in terms of purchasing in terms of hiring in terms of spending money on marketing you know there's a lot that has happened we don't have to get into it but this past year obviously uh especially in the states and um you never know what's going to happen at the beginning beginning of the year for the market um so do you pay attention to that does that affect your decision making in your business uh, especially from year in and year out. I think I know Tom's answer already because of how much he's purchased this year uh, in his business. But but how does that, does, does that even play a role in the decisions you make? Or is it, you know, make money while uh, the sun is out? Like, what what is your opinion on all this? I think it's kind of a combination of both. I mean, you definitely need to take advantage of, where things are at in the economy and um you know you you got to spend money to make money right and so we know the work's coming in right now so you gotta do the things that you need to in order to produce the the work um but at the same time i i am very careful of i haven't gone through a recession as a business owner yet um i know tom hasn't either in his own business but has seen what that looks like um and I, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that has to go selling off stuff when that time comes. Um, so I try to be mindful of that and just make sure that I don't have so much long-term debt that when, if that time comes that I'm like, now I have, you know, so much money that I have to cover every month just to hold on to everything. Um, so I definitely think you need to take advantage of the, the great season that we're in, but also be expectant of what could or could not come in the future so yeah i mean from from a truck and equipment perspective and a purchasing power perspective um i'm not looking at the economy as a as a decision factor at this point and treating it like another year um so to josh's point you know just a general consensus of not being too extended um but from a sales perspective it's absolutely changed um, my approach this year so as of last week um, I've officially signed, closet in hand, closed out, like ready to work. 
our sales goal for 2021 already. So we're, I mean, I could just shut the phone off tomorrow and work with what we have and prove that we have. We're good through the year and probably maybe next spring. So it's changed my sales pitch and my perspective, not necessarily increasing prices, but, you know, maybe I'm cherry picking projects a little bit more. Maybe I'm streamlining that sales process a little more and just kind of weeding out the people that are looking for estimates. Um, you know, we're doing designs and, and consults, uh, putting budgets together, and then if clients want to work, they essentially put a retainer in before we even start any design work. So it, it's changed that perspective just because of the sheer volume of work that's out there. Um, I've had to kind of adapt to that a little bit. Um, I pretty much have the same approach as Josh. Um, I mean, things are very, very good right now. Um, but I'm optimistic that it's going to continue, but I'm not convinced. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm heavily influenced by the building market. Um, I've tried to position myself to work for the high-end custom builders. Um, so in theory, rich people will still have money and they'll still be doing projects and building houses. So that's where I've tried to position myself uh, on who we work for. Um, but I mean, I, I'm heavily affected by that. And if you just look at like prices of lumber right now, they're through the absolute roof. Uh, and I've had jobs get delayed because of that. Um, you know, lumber affecting an excavation contractor. I mean, it affects if you guys were doing the landscaping there, it's going to affect you too. So the housing market is very tied into all the other trades and how they're doing and price of products and things like that. Um, so that's a big reason I am trying to buy things now and be able to pay for them because I don't want to have those. I think things are still going to go good for at least this year and probably next year as well. But I'm not too sure after that, we'll see what happens. I think it'll, I think it has to slow down. I mean, it's nuts right now. Um, so I don't want to slow down and still have my payments that I could afford right now. Um, so I'm trying to position myself to have a little bit lower payments in a couple of years. Um, and that's why I've been really big on trying to, you know, pay for things outright or pay them off in the same year that I purchased them. Uh, and I think, I hope uh, that will set us up for better down the line. Just like Josh said, I don't want to be the guy who's having to sell my equipment uh, because if you've ever tried to sell equipment when there's no work, uh, you don't get too much money for it. So no matter what, you're kind of screwed. Um, so I don't want to be that guy. Which brings me to my final question here, guys. And thank you for your time. I do really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And my final question is a, is a good one. Uh, your struggle right now in your business, because no matter where we are in our business, there's something that is either a growing pain or something that comes up in your business, uh, whatever it might be. What is that struggle that you are experiencing right now in your business? Uh, I mean, mine is, is, uh, probably the same thing that everybody is struggling with right now. It's just finding employees. Um, and luckily I don't have a huge need for, for many guys, but like, I'm trying to find one employee right now and can't even find one employee. Um, and in years past when I have had to hire, you know, I'd have 
10, 15 people applying for jobs. And I would be going through interviews until I found the right one. And this year I've had an ad on Indeed for at least two weeks and I've had three people apply. Um, and I think everything that's happening right now with, um, you know, all the stimulus stuff is making it even more difficult than it already was before. Um, so for me, which that's normally not um, something I really have to worry about because of the, you know, us being at basically our full growth. Um, usually finding employees isn't a huge issue, but this year it is the biggest issue I'm dealing with so far. Garrett or Tom? I mean, I'll 110% agree with the labor issue um, and staffing issue. And and for me, it's not so much finding them. Um, I've, had, I've been pretty fortunate to, to find guys. Um, but for me, the, the struggle is, I guess, finding the right guys and managing those guys and, and holding those guys accountable. Um, I mean, I've watched it in at least 14 years go from you can you have your pick of the litter and guys would be self-accountable and self-productive and good to go. And and we were struggling now and at a day-to-day basis to to hold half the pace that we were we were doing five years ago. So it's 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 a steady decrease in production. And you can only raise those prices to offset that and, and come up with so many efficiencies to offset that. I mean, something, something's got to give eventually. And, and that probably even ties into Tom's point earlier, but, but the way the economy's at, I mean, we all follow the real estate market, the building market, that whole market is our market. And we're in a huge supply and demand issue right now. And, you know, there's certain political things going on and there's certain other things going on that are not making it any easier. I mean, the demand is at an all-time high and we can't keep up from a labor or material perspective. So it's not making it at all easy. So, you know, that kind of is why I'm probably shifting a little more towards uh, focusing a little smaller group for me, employee-wise. You know, we've, we've maxed out at like 24 guys and we're down to like half a dozen right now. Um, so in, in, in shifting that focus to subcontracting, um, working with like-minded um, owner-operator, smaller companies um, will keep us in the game, but kind of pivot responsibility a little bit. It's, it's the only way that that I see us adapting to it, at least in the short term, until things level off a little bit, or or that supply and demand um, counteracts itself a little bit better. And on to you, Tom. Um, mine is not people. Um, I, I don't want to hire anybody. I'm not looking to hire anybody. Um, I think we have a great team of people right now, especially with the, the new edition. Um, for me, I feel like it's a never ending struggle for me and it's how to get the work done that we have on the books. Um, the biggest difference for me uh, versus a hardscaping company is that um, like if I'm booked out a month to two months, that's really good for me. Like really, really good. Right now I'm booked out almost six to seven months, which is really bad actually. Um, because the job starts with me. And if you cannot get there for that builder to start the job, you hold everybody else up 
and you know what? They don't wait for you. Um, so you got to get there to do that job and get it done. So, um, you know, and that's why we so heavily invested in all these things to get things done quicker. Um, so it's a, it's my same problem that I have all the time. It's, it's how do we get this done? You know, I always laugh about it. I literally make a schedule two weeks at a time and it changes every single day. Um, because we're just, we're going back for so many things on a house lot and they need us there for the electrical trench. So we got to go do it because the electrician's going to be there. So, um, scheduling is always a huge, huge challenge for me. Um, we seem to always make it work. Um, the difference with this year being that we have this big road project going, um, which you can't, you know, with a house lot, you can sneak out for a day and go take care of somebody else. Cause as long as you got the foundation in the ground, somebody else can be working, but on a road, you kind of, you know, this is like three months worth of work straight for two people. Um, so we only have four people in the company. Uh, so you can see where this comes to an issue and I have to start another decent sized project on April 1st. So it's just, it's that whole like scheduling and figure thing, figuring things out is always my, my biggest struggle every day. Well, guys, I've got enough questions here to last us the whole night, but we will call it with that right here. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you doing those individual interviews and now this roundtable. Thank you so much. I'm going to go in order of appearance on the podcast to wrap things up here. Closing comments, closing remarks, anything that you want to leave the audience with, where can they find you? Whatever you want to say, starting with Garrett. Oh, closing remarks. Good luck, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to be another wild year. Um, so whatever your struggles are now, your struggles are going to be the same struggles all year. So just just buckle down and then ride the roller coaster and you know, do so much time of the day. Just get it done. Don't lose, don't lose sight of yourself, your family, or your hobbies, or whatever else you got going, personality or, or personal touches. So it's just business at the end of the day. It's just money at the end of the day. Do your best and you can go home. And where can our audience go find you, Garrett? Um, most active on Instagram, Premier Landscape RI. Um, check us out on Facebook too. I think we're linked together. So, but mostly Instagram. Excellent. Thank you. And on to Josh. Um, oh, this is uh, stressful. I think I'm probably actually going to say probably the same thing that I think I said in our podcast that we did together. Um, this almost ties even into what Garrett said um, with struggles that you're having. Don't be afraid to to reach out to people um, and use social media as a tool because um, there's a lot of people that are willing to help and answer questions. Um, people like, you know, the three of us, the four of us right here. Um, so use social media to your advantage and um, yeah, don't be scared or, you know, if you're if you're struggling with something, don't be um too concerned about what people think of you and not reach out and get help because um somebody could answer something for you that could totally change things for you so um yeah just use that to your advantage and and where can audience go find you josh um on instagram same thing as garrett that's where i'm probably most active and that's mass underscore hardscaper and then um i i have a youtube channel that I'm always all over the place on. Sometimes I'm active, sometimes I'm not. I'm trying to be this year a little bit more. So, and that's just Mass Hardscaper. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. And close things out for us, Tom. Um, 
I guess the best piece of advice that I could give somebody since we've talked about equipment so much is don't look at the cost of how much it's going to cost you. Think about how much whatever you're looking to buy is going to save you and kind of work backwards from that. Um, because I get so many people asking, how much did that cost? How much does this cost? It, it, yeah, the, everything's expensive. <laughs> like you got to get over it. Um, it's about what that can do for you and what it can save you. Um, but besides that, I mean, go out, take some risks, um, without, re uh, risks, there's no rewards. So, um, go out, give it hell. And, uh, you can find me the dirt ninja on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode and go check out these guys where you can find them. Thank them for coming on the show, not once, but twice for this round table and go check them out. And while you're at it, go check out IQ Power Tools on their social media channels or iqpowertools.com to see the integrated dust collection systems that they have for this industry when we're cutting dry and thank them for sponsoring today's episode as well. We look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast.